quite a few things to catch up with. Um, lots of things have happened since I, I was last preached here. We've had uh, Living Fire here, which was great. We, we hosted 23 church leadership teams, um, and that was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal event. Um, exceeded expectations. Expectations were high anyway, but I think it did on, on all counts. And just wanted to thank all those who were involved in that in different ways. And uh, just to say to you, church, not every not that many of you would have been able to be at the event, but just to say that the, uh, what Eastgate is and what it's created is, is, is helping to host some things. And I, I wanted to give you a feedback on that. So here's, um, this is, this is an email that was sent through to Alan, actually Alan Cass, who helped to, um, from one of the, the, the church uh, leaders, um, who had his team here at Living Fire. And this was his report. He said, uh, this week has been quite incredible. Over the last four days, I've had a short blast of the Bethel culture at the Eastgate Living Fire Conference. And in all my years of church leadership, I can honestly say I've not experienced anything like it before. I've had glimpses of heaven before. I remember when the Toronto Blessing broke out, Pensacola, times of refreshing, etc. And with New Frontiers Stonely Bible Weeks, where the Holy Spirit power literally shook the hearts and minds of up to 22,000 people. This leading to hundreds of churches being planted and rejuvenated around the world. But the difference here <coughs> is that Bethel and Eastgate have managed to sustain and carry this for longer than any revival before. The marked difference appears to be the culture of freedom, empowerment and horizontal grace evident. Horizontal grace means that a grace that operates between us as people, not just grace from God coming down. And this is truly liberating and infectious. I have again this week had a number of those experiences of every nerve of my body tingling with Holy Spirit electricity. I've felt that peace that surpasses my understanding. I've heard of tumours vanishing under the power of prayer. I've heard teaching that has challenged all I'd learned before about being an elder and leading a truly wonderful community of God's people. I believe my mind has been transformed by this experience. I've seen it now and I can't go back. <clears throat> This is a letter to his church. God said this year he was going to give us a new blueprint. He's now showing us the outline and we're going to draw it out together. There'll be no sermon this Sunday. Instead, you'll hear feedback that will captivate your heart. We're in for an exciting ride. And uh, his wife sent some other things. I said, um, I remember my words when we came to you for dinner. Not to me, but I said something like, Bethel is good, but I'm holding back as I've seen what can happen when you throw your lot in with a new stream bit of reservation. It was like I was getting slapped in the face yesterday with a wet fish with one revelation after another. (laughs) (laughs) The most important thing I've learned is that I now know my starting point to program into my sat-nav. That's a key thing. If you want to go on a a journey with your sat-nav, you don't just need to know where you want to end up. You need to know where you're starting from. Otherwise, you won't make the journey. And a lot of people don't have a good assessment of where they're starting from. And so they struggle to make the journey. So that self-realization is really important. I realize I've been quite institutionalized, institutionalized, but God is revealing rapidly a new way forward. At times yesterday, I was quite lightheaded with the amount of freedom and trust in the room, an absolute lack of the need to control. Oh, that is good. <clears throat> I feel this is something we've had before, but I've still felt a lingering disapproval over my own life for the past three years. However, I know where the sat-nav is going to take me now, and Living Fire is helping me find the destination. How about that? 
So that's cool, isn't it? So that's, that's you. So you contributed to that. And it's important, this one, it's not just what goes on on the platform, but what we build together to, to create an environment where this goes on. And then um, we had the Heaven in Business last week, which was, again, was fantastic. You know, you saw Andy Mason uh, last Sunday. And, um, but this was, a, this was a feedback. I'm getting a boom up here. Said, I just wanted to thank you so much. Um, okay. This is, this is intended for the whole of Eastgate. I just wanted to thank you so much for hosting the Heaven in Business conference last weekend. As always, this was done with the excellence and effortlessness with which you seem to do things in general. <laughs> That's why, because I don't do most of it. <laughs> Although I appreciate it involves a lot of hard work, coming to Eastgate is like arriving. Listen to this: coming to Eastgate is like arriving at an oasis with the atmosphere of an outpost of heaven, experiencing the sense of safety, peace, and warmth is like relaxing into a hot bath. I love that Heaven in Business is extending the vision for bringing the kingdom of God from church meetings into the workplace. I think it's not just business people who could benefit from, from this, but also the large majority of Christians who don't spend the week in church. I wish this kind of teaching was around 30 years ago when I started my business, but felt most of my energy should be focused on church on Sunday and my ministry in the week, not realising how God wanted to partner with me and show up in my, in my day job. I'm a product designer, a designer and have won a number of awards. It was only a couple of years ago I listened to Bill Johnson talking about Bezalel, in Exodus 31, filled with a spirit with all kinds of craftsmanship, that I realised I had wrongly judged my profession as second class when compared to full-time ministry. The Heaven in Business conference gave more context for this and reinforced what God has been saying to me. The best part of Saturday for me was when the two tables got together and I volunteered to be prophesied over. My wife, who seems to know me quite well, said that everyone had got me down to a T. And a lot of what was said was confirmation of what I'd been hearing from God and was really encouraging. I've actually had quite a tough couple of months and the sense of being valued and loved and the love within the group lifted me right out of it and I've had an amazing few days since. In addition, my wife stood up when there was an invitation for people to get prayed for who found it difficult to hear God and as a result had three different prophetic words for people during the activation sessions later that day, which was pretty unusual for her. One of these was exactly the same verse as two other people in the group had at the same time. She'd also been suffering all week from a pain in her back, which disappeared when she was on the Eastgate site. But then the bit, but, but then reappeared when we were 20 minutes down the road driving home. Now that makes you think, and I, I just, I'm going to comment on that, okay, because it's important. Because, so all in all, we had a pretty awesome time and look forward to seeing this develop in the future. Isn't that amazing? So what, what people are experiencing when they come here, and then actually the fact that God's presence is here in a way that people actually, their pain will disappear and, and, and they will get healed. There is, if you can create an environment where heaven is actually expressed, then the benefits of heaven are expressed. But we need to, we need to be pushing that out further so that actually it's not just people can drive 20 minutes away and the effects are disappear, but actually we need to actually manage to create something for our whole area and region where heaven is expressed on earth. Um, that's our 40-year vision. We want to, to be a catalyst for, for, for heaven to be created on earth in this region and then to, to catalyze that around the, re- the other regions. So, uh, so with Living Fire, we are actually helping church leadership teams think about this. And that we had six different nations you know, represented there. So this is literally touching nations. Okay. It's exciting, isn't it? When you're involved, you've got the idea? You're not just sitting there on a Sunday morning. 
listening to Pete talking about this stuff, you're actually part of this stuff because it's the whole environment that we create that, um, that is important. And I just wanted to, again, have a look out the window here. See, I keep on looking at this. And, um, and a few months ago, somebody said to me, oh, you're losing your view. I said, no, no, I've got my view. That's the view I came for. I didn't come for the, the view of the, the field as much as I like the fields. I actually came for the view of, of, of a city um, because this, this is the harvest. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, in a few months' time, it, it should be in about four months' time over there, on that, that space of land over there, you'll start to see a primary school being built. I came for that view as well. <clears throat> and you know, September 2018, we should welcome the first 60 children in, in, into Hope School. And year by year, so that eventually there'll be 420 children, actually, that, that in, in that school, 400, well, that might be less than 420 families, but lots of families bringing their kids there and then hopefully interacting here, with, you know, coming in for coffee. But when they come in for a coffee in a coffee shop, what, what will they experience? What's, who will they experience? They should experience God. In this place, their, 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 their diseases should disappear. You know, this place should be a place of peace and joy. You know, no blame, no blame, no shame. This is a place where, where shame can disappear. And <clears throat> these are dreams we need to have. Yeah, these are, this is our common dream of creating something here that is, that is much broader than just this, this building. Um, and we're looking at how we express ourselves out, right out across, across Ev Street Garden City. Now, in order to do that, <clears throat> we need to make sure we're, we're, we're growing and we accommodate the growth um, that's coming our way. Um, it won't just happen. Um, and, you know, the reality is that, that, that Sunday mornings can be quite busy here. Um, we need to get more space, which is why we've uh, got the planning application for the annexes in. So the, the, the drawings over there are for, are for the annex. And over the next two Sundays, we're going to be taking special offerings for that. Now, I want you to feel involved because this is, this is us on a great mission together. Okay? We're trying to build something with capacity. Um, and I've said it many times before, when, when, um, when your children are growing, um, you don't buy the clothes to, to exactly fit them at that moment in time, do you? Am I right? Because if what will happen in two months' time, they'll be too small. So actually, when you're expecting growth, you should actually, you should factor that into what you're doing. We're going to factor in stuff for growth. Um, at the moment, what the directors are thinking is, is that in five years' time, we should have a church community of between 1,500 and 2,000. That's a lot of people. And we've got to think that through. But that's, that's not just because we're trying to be big. It's because we're, we're anticipating a harvest. Now, I've said, wouldn't it be a tragedy if we, didn't have, if we had 60 families start there and then their kids want to come, come along to Eastgate on Sunday and we say, sorry, we have to turn you away. We haven't got any room. That would be a tragedy, would it not? That'd be, that, I'd be devastated by that. <laughs> so we've got to actually think all this stuff through and, and thinking it through in advance and planning. So, so do pray for us as, as we, we go about this. And I, I want you to be involved with this, this, this. It's not just an annex, but there, there's a statement of intent within this. John said a statement of intent that we can keep on growing rather than just settling. So what I want you to do, I want you to stand with me right now and I want you to do something. I want you to talk to God. Happy to do that? It's called prayer, but we'll make it easy. Okay, I want, I, want you, I want you to ask him something. Okay? I want, I want you to ask him, because this is not me, I want you to ask him 
how much he wants you to give. Because I only want you to give in faith, not out of any sense of obligation or duty. When you hear God, faith comes with hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I'm going to give you a few moments. I want you to ask God, and then I'm going to ask, I suggest you ask him to provide for what he says. (laughs) You ready to be surprised by God? Okay. So we're going to take a few moments. Do you do that? Just ask God, and then ask him to provide so, so that you, you can be, you can give. Father, we thank you that you are our great provider. Thank you for this building as an evidence of your faithfulness and your goodness to us. But we choose now to participate with heaven's plans. And we trust you to provide for all that we need. And we choose to be generous in our attitudes. Not just with our money, but with our time, our energy, with our attitudes towards other people. Father, we want to welcome the multitudes of the harvest amongst us. Father, may we never turn people away. May we never close our doors. May we always be ready for the more that you want to give to us. Father, we pray that you'd open our hearts with great compassion to the city around us. And we do cry out to you that heaven will be expressed on earth in Ebb Street Garden City and across this whole area. But we, I pray, I pray for an area where dementia has no hold, where cancer has to flee, where anxiety will be banished. Where education is a joy and a delight for students and staff. Father, we pray. We pray for outstanding health care across our whole area. But we do pray. Let your kingdom come in all its fullness upon us, we pray. Amen. Good. Thank you. So I'm excited. I'm excited and I'm challenged. Um, I'm reading the book at the moment, I'm working at it, it's called Good to Great, um, and uh, some of you say I've never heard of that, it's, it's, it's not, uh, I'm not sure, it's not a Christian book, if you know what I mean by a Christian book, um, it, it's actually a business book, um, it's a number one bestseller, three million copies sold, and it's by a guy called Jim Collins, and it basically it's about, it's a study of um, companies, particularly in the United States, uh, who trans. Uh, form themselves from good to amazingly great, that sort of world-leading companies. And um, I'm learning a lot through it, but one of the things I'm interested by, it says that actually probably one of the greatest uh, dangers, so we could call it, to becoming great is actually being good and settling for being good. Just settling for what you've already got. Uh, but actually the willingness to go on and see I, I don't think God just wants us to be good I think he wants us to be great now that's, I'm not just talking about Easter, I'm talking about Christians as a whole we're meant to be world changers you know. it, it says anyone who has faith in Jesus can do the works of Jesus that's John 14 verse 12 then it goes on to say and even greater works so, so the design God's plan for you is not just that you do the good stuff that Jesus did but, but even greater works is that not mind boggling? 
I, I think it's extraordinary. I, I, more I meditate upon that, I think that tells me that God's extremely secure and he doesn't get his value out of what he does. <laughs> so we need to learn to be extremely secure and not get our value out of what we do but out of who God's made us to be. He has made us to be amazing. And he's planned for us to do even greater works than Jesus did. Well, I think that's just extraordinary. Um, <clears throat> so so that is, is, is the basis of Christianity. And um, so I, I'm going to probably refer to a bit to this book, this book as we go, but it's it's something that I'm, um, I'm looking at. But one of the other things I've been thinking about is, is, is perseverance. So God's been talking to me about perseverance. And I think Donna King... She preached on perseverance a couple of weeks back. Right on the hood, it was outstanding. I've not listened to it, but um, interesting that that, 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 that there's a <coughs> same word is buzzing around. Now, when you hear the word perseverance, just a bit, bear with me. when you hear the word perseverance, what, what's, what, what emotions does it sort of trigger in you? Seriously, what are you always say, oh, no, not goodness, no, not perseverance. <laughs> Because it's, it's, we tend to associate it with the, the, you're just doing the tough stuff, don't we? You know, um, so I want you to I want you to turn with me to to uh, two Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twelve. Am I right? So if you hit perseverance, is normally we're going to slog it out. Yeah, two Corinthians twelve, verse twelve. Says this. <coughs> this is in the New International Version. Similar in other versions, but this one explains it best in this context. It says, the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. Can I read that out again? The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. So you need to persevere doing the good stuff. It's not just about the bad stuff. It's not just getting through the tough times. Actually, there's a a sense of persevering with the good stuff. So, uh, wouldn't it be a tragedy if we got bored of healings happening? Or if that just became, oh yeah, let me do that. Rather than celebrate everyone. But there is a sense of having to keep pushing in. Um, and, And in order to get to that, actually you have to push in past the disappointments. There is a perseverance needed. In praying for the, for healing, I'm, I'm so excited by what happens in the healing centre. You know that uh, we worked hard to establish that. You know, we did a, we trained for a year before we even opened the doors. You know, we, we really worked hard. We we persevered through disappointment, through the ups and downs of of of, of, of life. <coughs> you know, but we've got some fantastic stories now. You know, cancer's disappearing. You know, um, and actually looking forward to actually um, one of those being captured on video before too long. Actually, thinking of hopefully making that into a, to a short video of a story. You know, just to, just to inspire the world. You know, God is alive, isn't He? So, um, but recently I was, I was um, away on a mission team in Valencia and um, chatting to one of the team members, and she was telling me that a few years back. She was um, in Uganda on a mission, and then when she got to uh, the airport to fly home, the, the, it was a volcano, the, the Iceland volcano, and the ash cloud, that's, and, and she was she was stuck in, in Uganda, um, basically for another week until she could get a flight back. And it reminded me that that, that 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 happened to Kim and I. We weren't in Uganda; we were on holiday in Mallorca, 
Um, and uh, we were due to fly, I think it was a flight on a Monday, weren't we? Due to fly home on a Monday? Something like that. So, um, and on the Sunday evening, there was this news, and all, all the people in the hotel were watching <laughs> pictures of this volcano going off on the ash cloud. and think, oh, my goodness. Um, and the problem was that all the sort of British airports were closing down because of the fears of you know, the ash cloud causing the planes to drop out of the sky, which wasn't very appealing. Um, so, uh, so, so we got up on Monday morning, and um, basically the, we were with um, Holiday Company, Thompson, and uh, we got up and they said, uh, there's, no fl- there's no planes going. Um, so, so you're not going home. All right. Um, now, fortunately, we were in a hotel, and they were really good. They looked after us, and so we stayed. But we didn't know when we were going to be leaving. So they said, you can't go very far. Um, so you had this sort of slight extension to holiday, but without any sort of uh, certainty of what was going on. So we, we had to stay in touch um, through the Monday, check in every couple of hours to see whether the flights were going, and no, they weren't going. Um, Got up Tuesday and checked in with the reps. They said, no, there's no chance. There's, 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 there's no flights today. You might as well go and enjoy yourself. So we headed off for the day. On the Wednesday, we got up <coughs> and we checked in with it. And they said, oh, don't go very far. We might, you might be leaving today. We go, oh, good. Um, might be on our way. So, so they said, uh, make sure you don't go far. And uh, if you've got a mobile phone, we'll have your number so that we can call you when we go. So, so eventually we get called and we're supposed to be leaving about 3 o'clock. And... Um, Eventually, we get get, to, get on our way at 5 o'clock. Now, what happened was, our journey home was <clears throat> was a coach from uh, the hotel across to um, Palmer, which is the port in Mallorca, where Thompson had actually got a, one of their um, uh, cruise liners out of, out of refit so that we could actually all be taken from uh, Palmer to Barcelona overnight on, on, on the cruise liner. Um, so we had a about a two-hour coach journey across to there, then, then on the cruise line away overnight. Fortunately, we were given a cabin to sleep in, so that was good. And then when we got to Barcelona, they basically said, right, off you go, take your bags, and just get on one of those coaches that's, that's out there. Love me. And, and there was this absolute, you know, I don't know how many coaches just arriving at Barcelona port uh, to collect all these people. Um, and the problem was that, that they didn't have a um, proper like what I've called intercity coaches. These were the coaches that pick you up just to drop you off at, at your hotel. So no toilets, no, no nothing. <laughs> so, so, so you just pick your bags up and we, we got on this, this coach. And with us, there, there were kids on this coach. There was an elderly couple, must have been well in their 80s, and we will think, oh, my goodness. And we said, how long is it going to take us? They said, well, oh, probably about 17, 18 hours to get you to Calais. Okay, so... 17, 18 hours. Now, at the same time, David Webster was on, on, David and Carol were on holiday in Antigua. Uh, they're visiting their, their son in Antigua. Um, and they also couldn't come home. And, um, they gone out there. And they were kindly put up in a five-star hotel. Or four-star. <laughs> so I'm texting Dave, saying, hey, we're on our way home. She says, we're staying here. I said, are you having a good time? Yeah, loving it. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> So I said, right, I'm choosing to rejoice with you. Are you, are you entering into our suffering? No. No way. There was no way he was entering into our suffering. It, it, it was, I thought, this is, the Bible tells you to do this. I rejoice with you. You, you mourn with me. That's, that's what he's supposed to do. But no, he was having none of that. So he was just, he was just 
telling me stories of how he swum up to the pool bar and, and share, sharing Jesus with somebody in the Caribbean sun while we trek up the motorways. And there were just hundreds of these coaches just piling up the French motorways. Now, um, and every three hours you had a loose stop. Now, ladies, this, it wasn't good news because basically all the coaches were there and you had half an hour and that was it. So all the ladies did basically was, was queue for the loo and get back on the coach. Slightly better for the guys because the guys can do it quicker. But, um, but it wasn't a whole lot of fun in that sense. But what you have to say is it was an extraordinary experience. Um, how everybody looked after one another, it was amazing. Particularly this old couple, everybody making sure they got looked after, making sure the kids were well. It was, it was, and it was like being, um, what we call the Dunkirk spirit. It was the Brits coming back and the Brits were overcoming. You know, everybody was, we were up for this. Uh, and, and eventually we got to, got to Calais after 17 hours, 18 hours in this coach. And we, oh, we get to the port. And you think, oh goodness. And you can see the ferry. You think, oh great. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but no. No, no, no. So, so what you had to do, you had to then be transferred to another coach which would take you through onto the ferry and back home because that's redistributors. Um, because you have to remember, our car wasn't at home. Our car was at, still at Gatwick Airport. So they had to have those who were going back to Gatwick Airport that to get onto the same coach. So, so we, we, we saw the port and then we left the port. And we drove around Calais for a couple of hours trying to find the car park where the coach was for us to transfer to. So, and then eventually we get on this, this coach and you sit there for a couple of hours waiting for other people to arrive from the destinations. And then we, then that coach takes us and we then go to the port and then we wait there for the ferry. Now, when we got to the port, you then start to talk to the stories with, with the people who were simply amazing. Because we started to hear the stories of how people had got to Calais and they had come by all sorts of I mean, talk about planes, trains, and automobiles. It was extraordinary. The stories were amazing. We're hearing some people who'd, who'd come, it'd taken them five days to get there from South America. They'd been on, on trip for five days. There was somebody who'd been on holiday in, in North Africa, and by the time they got to uh, the south of France, they'd already had 12 different journeys to get that far. They then said, actually, what was interesting, that they had a relative who lived in Germany who drove all the way from Germany to the south of France to pick them up and then drive them to Calais and then, then come through on a ferry with them to drive them through through to, to, I think they were going back to, it wasn't Gatwick, it was somewhere further north than that. And then the guy was going to drive all the way back to Germany. Just heard these extraordinary stories of, of people overcoming. And the atmosphere at Calais port was, was actually quite extraordinary, wasn't it, Kim? It was just, it was, you thought, this is, there's something about about overcoming. There was something going on here. And all this time, David Webster's just <laughs> swim, swimming in the sun. He's just, he's, how you doing, Dave? Great. Having a good time. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He came, he, he came back a week later. That's it. God blessed him beyond measure. And I was rejoicing with him. So... So eventually, eventually we get, we get to Gatwick Airport where they take us and then, then 42 hours it took us from start to finish. 42 hours. Get, get to the airport and go into the car rental place and I'm thinking, I'm hoping they're not going to charge us for the extra 
time, which they didn't, thankfully. That would have not been good news. So I'm standing there getting the keys, and, and this guy's obviously been dealing with all these bedraggled people coming in from around Europe and other places who were late with their cars. And this guy comes in and stands next to me. So I said, oh, hi, where have you come from? He said, I've come from Mallorca. I said, oh, right. I said, how long did it take you? He said, oh, two hours. <laughs> I thought, you must be joking. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was the icing on the cake. He said, yeah, 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 we, we, we just flew in this morning. I, I didn't give him the full details of our journey. But I was rejoicing with him as well. But it was, I thought, what? I was thinking, well, why didn't we stay another 24 hours in the hotel? And, yeah. oh. So, anyway, we got home. Do you know what? That guy on the plane, two hours from Yorker, and David Webster doing this. See, they don't have the stories that Kim and I have. <laughs> They don't have the experience. They don't have, they don't have that, 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 that sort of understanding of, of, of perseverance. <laughs> because they didn't go through it. Now, I, I can look back. It's funny. I look back upon that with a great deal of, of fun and affection, as I tell you. <laughs> when you're going through it, it doesn't seem... But, so you think, I, 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 I'd rather fancy being in the Caribbean... Oh, yeah, that two-hour trip sounds rather appealing. But no, that wasn't going to be it. Do you know, sometimes the journey can be a bit longer than you anticipate. But you get stories on the way that you can never get any other way. See, the guy who did the flight from York, I wouldn't be telling you this if I got that flight. Um, because I, I do that all the time. Fly in and out. I'm not sure David Webster spends all his time in the Caribbean. But, he, it, but, but, but it was, there is something. But I learned a lot through that. I thought, actually, yeah, I could have got home in two hours rather than 42. But I saw something in people. We had stories. We heard people's stories along the road of extraordinary kindness and overcoming of the generosity of people, a man who would drive all the way from Germany to the south of France, then up to Calais, into England, drop his, some in-laws off, and then he drove all the way back to Germany. Yeah. See, see, along, along the road of perseverance, there's, there are life's experiences to be had, and, and, and it's not just you, it's who you connect with on the way, isn't it? Most of us like the shortcut. You know, we do like the shortcut, the short way forward. But you know what? God loves you more than that. He loves you enough to give you the journey. Because it says this in, in James 1 verse 4. 
Look at James 1 verse 4. It might come up in there, but... If I ask you, if I say to you, how many of you want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything in your Christian life? Want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything? No, no, I've just asked you a straightforward question. It says, that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. Most of us would like that bit. Do you want to be mature, complete, not lacking anything? It says, well, then, see, perseverance has a work to do. It's not just something that you endure through the tough times. It actually has, it has a purpose of creating something in you. So whatever circumstance you're in right now, God will work his purposes out in it. See, the long journeys. And it's, see, I, I love the instant stories. I love, I love the stories of instant healings. I love the stories of, of deliverance. And I, I want more and more. I, I want those. I want people to come in here and, and meet with God and instantly things are just better for them. But you know what? There's a life that has to be lived afterwards. And our job is to make disciples, which is actually a long-term process. It's not just, it's not just to give people a quick fix, to make their life feel a little bit better in an instant. Um, so if I say to you, how, how long does it take to raise a family? A while, a little while. <laughs> I know I've been chatting to some, some of the, the the parents of younger kids, you know, um, who are doing, doing the disturbed nights. Let me put it that way. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> we remember it. <laughs> you know, you do that. Why do you do such stuff? Well, actually, because you love and. If we want to raise a church family of 1,500 to 2,000 people, it's going to take a lot of perseverance. It's not going to happen in an instant. We want to build a city. Those houses don't just disappear overnight. There's foundations. There's there's that that thing. So if you want to build something, it takes perseverance. But it's that which you build which will last, not just the instant fixes. Does that make sense to you? Um, and then I'm trying to gauge my time um, Abraham was somebody who persevered wasn't he Abraham God gave him a promise how many years before that promise became a reality 25 years it was and it says this actually in, in, in the middle of that it said that, that Abraham faced the facts that his body was as good as dead and that's a really important bit about facing reality Facing, facing reality. Um, we don't, you don't build something by ignoring reality. You face, face, face facts and then you deal with facts. And if they're, they're facts that you don't like, you overcome the realities those with God's greater reality. Um, and it's not great faith to deny reality. That, that isn't great faith. It, it's like, really bugs me when people say, I'm not ill, when I can see they are. Well, I'm not limping. Well, it looks like you are. No, my leg's healed. No, not yet, it's not. It doesn't help, it just doesn't help. I expect people to get healed, but let's be real about it if it's not happening, not be frightened of addressing the realities of stuff. You know, if we want you know, financial provision, you have to be real about it. You know? Don't be frightened of checking your bank statements. You might have a nice surprise. 
the fear of facing reality is, is, is not a good thing. And there's a, there's a concept in here called the Stockdale Paradox. I don't know if anybody's heard about that. But it's basically named after a guy who was a, um, a, a prisoner of war in uh, the Vietnam War uh, for seven or eight years. And he was a senior military guy in the Hanoi Hilton. <laughs> Hanoi Hilton. Um, it was a prisoner of war camp. Um, not a pleasant place. Um, but basically he said this, it's interesting, he said, he was asked about the, those who survived best, he said the ones who survived best were the realists. <clears throat> but, let me read this out so I can find it. It says this, what separates people, Stockdale taught me, is not the presence or absence of difficulties, but how they deal with the inevitable difficulties of life. And then they they talked about this. this Oh, here it goes. Talks about accepting the brutal face of reality, but maintaining an unwavering faith in the end game and a commitment to prevail to the end. Now, I thought, that's, I'm not doing this justice because I haven't got enough time to do it, but there's a sense of actually, and he, and he said, who were the ones who didn't survive? He said, oh, that's easy, that was the optimists. Now, I'm thinking of myself as an optimist, so I was a bit challenged by that. Said, but you were talking about optimists, the people who just say it's going to be all right without actually facing the facts. Yeah, it's going to be all right. Now, I, I, see, I believe everything is going to be all right because God works all things for good for those who love him. But it doesn't mean to say he's pleasant at the moment. And God, t- God tells me to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. But to be joyful always, but that joy is not conditioned by circumstances. To have peace that passes understanding, this is the reality. And so, and, um, so that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really important principle, is that we deal with realities. And we're trying to deal with, with, with the realities of what growth will look like. Yeah? Um, and we need to face up to those. It's going to be challenged. Honestly, it's going to be a challenge for us, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> you know, I've been through many transitions. You know, when I started leading the church uh, back in 198, there were 25 adults and 10 kids. Well, we've been through so many transitions, all of which are challenging. And I think we're in for, for another challenging transition, in all honesty, because I think we need to be ready for the harvest. I, I'm not sure how you ever get ready for influx of 3,000 people in one day like the day of Pentecost, but I want to be willing. Yeah? I want to be willing for that, rather than say, oh, we've got so many people here, we don't need to, let's close the doors now and have our little club. And then one last picture I want to throw to you is, God told us to build an armada. Do you remember that? Well, it's easy to just make that, think about that as, as, as other churches, but I felt, well, do you know what the, just bear with me for a moment, What's the greatest armada in recent history? Anybody think the greatest armada in recent history in the 20th century? Dunkirk. Dunkirk is the answer to that. <clears throat> Why was Dunkirk so special? Because of the small boats. Because of the small boats, not because of the big boats. You see, the big boats couldn't get in to shore. It was the small boats that counted. And we, Kim and I watched, there's a, there was a... a um, the thing on Netflix about Great British Castles, it talked about, about uh, Dunkirk yesterday, and it, it mentioned this, there's one fact, one small boat, one small boat, listen to this, saved 3,000 people from the beaches of Dunkirk. 
one small boat who was willing to risk everything for the sake of other people. So here's, 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 here's the challenge for you. Will you use your, your small boat? Just hold a minute. I'm going to give you 10 seconds before anybody disappears out to get the kids, okay? Will you use your small boat for this common purpose of saving hundreds of thousand people for the kingdom of heaven? There's a challenge for you. I'm going to pray, okay? <clears throat> One small boat, 3,000 people. If you ever go down to, if you're ever in Ramsgate, if you look in Ramsgate Harbour, there's actually a boat there in the harbour that was part of the Dunkirk mission. And you look at it and think, in, it looks like it was just there. But you know what? That ordinary boat saved many, many lives and was part of a bigger mission. Do you know how many, how many people were saved from the beaches of Dunkirk? Over 300,000. Most of those got off the beach in small boats. So, let's pray. Thank you, God, that we are about a great work. <clears throat> and we refuse to be distracted. We refuse <clears throat> to close our doors. And we open our hearts and our minds to what you are doing. And we face the facts that are in front of us, the challenges that come our way, and we so we, we need you more and more because of the opportunities. We are crying out for more of you. Not because of our desperate lack, but because of the excess that you are putting in front of us. Well, we choose to give you our lives once again and dedicate ourselves to you. King Jesus, thank you. You held nothing back. And we choose to do the same. Amen.